Hello and welcome to the podcast. You are listening to part two of the most recent episode with Matt from Mortal Sin. If you haven't listened to that first episode yet, I'd advise you to go and do so now because this won't make a whole lot of sense without it. And if you were back for part two, thanks again and enjoy. Mortal Sin from Australia. Never heard of them. So basically, another case of pure stroke of luck. I had my phone number on the album. You know, when I was living in Paramount, I had my, my home number on the album. You know, I, I just thought, well, because you know, I, I was basically managing the band, so I, I was taking all the calls. So I get this call one day, it was like, I don't know, it was 3 o'clock in the morning or something. Who the fuck is ringing me at 3 o'clock in the morning? I get up and I answer and he goes, oh, is that, is it Mortal Sin? I go, yeah, this is Matt from Mortal Sin, the singer. So oh, my name's David Thorne. I'm the A&R guy from Phonogram Records. And I'm like, huh? He said, I'm the A&R manager from Phonogram Records. And I go, Phonogram Records? And I'm like, bullshit. You're shitting me. It's <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, mate. Fucking go back to sleep. You know, so, and, and you know, he's trying to convince me. He, he, look, no, 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 I'm, I'm from Phonogram Records. I was in Shades Rec- Records the other day and they played your record and I thought it was the new Metallica album. Was like, we want to sign you guys. And I'm like, fuck off, you idiot. You're like, really? Yeah. I, I just thought it was someone who was pulling our leg, you know, because it's probably accent for three o'clock in the morning. I was half asleep. So... <laughs> By that, by that time, I'm, you know, I'm kind of waking up a bit. And I'm like, is this guy for real? So I'm like, fuck, is, I think it's this guy serious. So I said, oh, can you call me back like, like it's three o'clock in the morning here. Can you call me back at a, another time when I'm awake and I can comprehend all of this? And he said, yeah, 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 no worries, no worries. And like, it was the next day and I think it was, I don't know, it was 9 p.m. at night, so it was a better time. He says, yeah, yeah, this is David Thorne from Phonogram Records and we're really interested in signing you guys. And pretty much at the same time, I'd, I'd got a, um, like a, a letter from MCA Records in America as well, which were a major label as well, you know, and, and we're like, Wow, this is a little bit surreal here. You know, it's like everybody wants to sign more. I mean, major labels. It's like not like Music for Nations or, you know, uh, sort of smaller labels. This was a fucking major label. So, you know, we're sort of sitting there, and, and basically the next day I had to ring all the guys and say, guys, 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 Phonogram Records from London wants to sign us. And then they, they're the same as I was. I was like, fuck off, you idiot. You're not. <laughs> I'm like, serious, guys, I got a call. I got two calls from this guy from Phonogram Records, uh, which at the time Metallica had signed with as well. So, you know, they were on Music for Nations, which was that smaller label. Uh, but then, you know, things started to get really big with the thrash metal. You know, it was starting to get this roll almost like a snowball getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it's rolling down the hill. And, um, yeah, so I said to the guys, no, guys, this is serious. <laughs> These guys, they want to order 2,000 records of us and they want to sign us. So I had to pack up these, it was like two, I don't know, it might have been more, it might have been 3,000. At the time, you know, we'd sent probably 50 to 100 LPs, we'd send all around the world to all the fanzines and radio stations and stuff like that. So I had to send two or 3,000 of these records to... To phonogram, you know, it's like, 
Okay, we've just, like, in two weeks, I've just sold 4,000 records, you know, because we'd sent, um, you know, 100 to WA and it was 100 to Melbourne, you know, so the, the, the 1,000 that we'd sold in Australia were, they were pretty much gone. And so it was, all right, sent us a contract, and, you know, it was, it, that way we'll know it's for real. <laughs> so in those days it was like fax and, you know, it was letter. You, you didn't even have emails and stuff like that. So everyone was so slow in those old days. You had to wait for a letter to come from England. You had to wait for a, a fax to come through. And a 46-page fax coming through was like, yeah, that's like three hours on a slow connection, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny when you look back on it all, but... Um, so yeah, we, we basically we'd hired a lawyer and we went through this contract and next thing we know it we we signed to a major label and and it's like oh man this this is just a dream come true you know it's like did did we get lucky or or is it what you know it's like a little bit of everything a little bit of luck a little bit of timing a little bit of you know that stroke of genius of sending them to to everywhere and and all that sort of stuff so. That that was pretty much that got everything up through eighty six, eighty seven. I don't know. They they were going to release it worldwide, you know, but they wanted to improve the cover. You know, they loved the they loved the concept, but they just thought it was a little bit how you go and kind of vibe, you know. And um, so we said, oh, whatever, man. You know, as long as it's got that concept, that's great. So anyway, they they approached a um, an an artist who. At the time, was sort of was you know he was looking for work. He he was sort of starting to get a name. He, he was uh, his name was Simon Bisley, and he, he was just putting together a comic book called Two Thousand AD, I think it was. Which you, I, I, you know I, I don't know much about comics. You probably don't know much about comics, but in the comic world, it's big. So he he was uh, chosen to draw a new design so he basically had a concept he just had to come up with a you know a better better idea and so i, I got this um call from the record company say look we've we've had an artist to do do a re you know he's redone the artwork and everything and we're going to send it out to you and have a look so you know two weeks later you know <laughs> airmail no express even uh i get this artwork come through and um I'm just looking at it going, fuck, that is fucking awesome. So I showed it to the guys and they were like, oh, man, this is this is killer. This is, this is just the best artwork ever. You know, so, um, yeah, we, we said yes. And, and basically, uh, I think within a few months, they got their shit together and we were all around the world, you know. It's like, what was it? Next biggest thing out of Australia. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is different. <laughs> so it's like, well, great. So when are we coming over to England? You know, because I was basically on the phone to this A&R guy quite often, you know, because we talked about we were going to do interviews and all that sort of stuff. And, I, and all I cared about is, so when are we coming to England? You know, this is 87 by this time. And and uh, we thought it's it's time. We, we've got to go to England. We've got to, we've got to travel overseas, you know. When you pick up these Metal Forces magazines and you see all these ads, Anthrax are playing, the Testament's playing, you know. It's like, oh, we've got, to go to, we've got to go there. There's nothing in Australia. We've got to go there. No, 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 no. You're not ready yet. You're not ready. We've got to get your album out. Got to do this. Got to do that. Blah, 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 blah. 
I'm like, what? How, how, what do you mean? We've got a tour. So we had these arguments over and over and over and over again. And that was that was probably our biggest fear. It's like we signed to a major label of like, you got to do what you're told, you know. It's like, <laughs> um, you know, you could be a, a big fish in a small pond or you'd be a small fish in a big pond. So we were, we were like these small fries in this in this massive, huge fucking ocean of phonogram records. So they had a plan for us and we had a different plan. You know, it was like, dude, we've got to come. We're going to come and play. And, and there was all these, all these uh, you know, awesome shows, awesome shows. At, at the time, we were, we were probably on the same level as bands like Testament. And, and that's, you know, the, the second wave of, of Thrash, you know, not the 83, 84, but the 86, 87, 88 wave. And, uh, you know, we kept seeing, oh, Testament's going, oh, Anthrax is going, oh, Megadeth's going, they're all going to Europe. All, why aren't we going to fucking Europe, you know? So I was like, no, 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 we, 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 we just got to get this out there and we got to work a plan, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, by this time we were already starting to work on new songs, you know, it was, it was 80, 87 had pretty much flown by, you know, we were sort of getting our own version of the record out they were getting their version of the record out but we were writing songs and, and arguing about touring you know so you know as you know being in australia there's only so many so many places you can play at so you know we'd sort of gone around and around and around and around did as many shows as we could in sydney and melbourne basically because that's where the thrash scene was and um so yeah we we basically started writing new album you know which was sort of late 87 coming into early 88 we basically were ready to record when you were born you know uh, august 88 so you know we'd already had another eight songs so we were kind of one step ahead of the record company we we were we're just pushing on you know nobody's going to tell us what to do we're going to write songs we're going to write songs (laughs) so we were basically uh hitting them up for money to record a second album gave us a lot of money they, you know well, I look back at the record contracts and I was like wow you know with that sort of money we we could have 20 studios today you know like <laughs> you, you get set up with that sort of money we, we could have bought our own freaking studio so anyway when it come time to recording the second album you know we we'd got all these reviews we were sort of this awesome band from Australia everyone was talking about us so I was doing interviews for South American magazines, North American magazines, Canadian, Japanese, you know, everywhere around the world, Indian magazines. I was, I was doing interviews for for everyone, so the the, the vibe was good, you know. And um, when it came time, we were, we were sort of writing the the second album, uh, Face of Despair. We were we we're kind of getting better at what we were doing as well as you, you know smarter and, and that sort of stuff so the songs were a little more you know a little more refined because we we basically had got mick burke in the band at, at that stage i think uh in the midst of 1987 keith was sort of starting to show you know the the pressure of everything that was happening it was it was a little bit too much for him when we got mick into the band the whole the whole writing vibe kind of changed because he he was this guitarist who was thoughtful and you know he knew what he was playing and he just had riffs coming out of his head you know so some of the songs on um face of despair you know was it all of them i, I can't think of it at the moment 
you know, really show his uh, musicianship come through and, and kind of lifted us as well, you know. So instead of that going backwards with Keith and, you know, sort of not moving along in the musicianship, Mick came along and brought us to the level that we, we needed to make this second record for a major label. So, yeah, um, we'd, we'd made some demos and that sort of stuff and sent them over to the record company. They were like, yeah, yeah, we like this. This is good, good, good. So they gave us a massive budget. I think it was like $200,000 or something, you know, which I'd love to have that money again. <laughs> <laughs> because it, you, you tell bands these days, you, you know, when they're trying to get a record deal, and record companies these days aren't even given any money. You've got to record your own record and then go to a record company and say, oh, we finished recording our album. You know, they don't want to spend money anymore. <laughs> Please promote me. <laughs> yeah. So basically we'd booked studios and everything and um, I think at the time I, I was still working while we were recording, so I was like doing – an eight-hour shift at work, starting at four o'clock in the morning, going and doing two thirty in the afternoon, going down to the studio, recording from three a.m. Uh, three p.m. to three a.m. and then going straight to work. And I think like two or three days like this had gone along, and your your mum was in in basically starting to go into labour <laughs> with you, and I'm oh, I'm just yeah, I, my head was just all over the place. And I hadn't had sleep for days and. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy time. So, yeah, we'd, we'd recorded the album uh, and uh, we we basically had a guy named Randy Burns uh, who was a producer and he, before he did us, he did a Megadeth album and Suicidal Tendencies, a couple of really big bands, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah this would be really good. So anyway, we this time around we... We thought we'd go back to 301 Studios because we, we were comfortable there and we liked it. And uh, Wayne uh, went in and recorded his parts. He was, like, there for a week. You know, it was the first album. He was there, there for, like, four hours doing all this tracking. So he was there for a week and, and we were listening to playbacks and Randy Burns just goes, I don't like it. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Shit, I don't like it. And we're like, what don't you like? The drums or the sound or no 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 it's not, nothing, nothing to do with the drums, it's the sound. Didn't like the sound. Don't like the mics, don't like the room, I don't like anything. So we wasted a whole week in uh, three hour one studios. Let's find another studio. And of course, by that time it was there was no studios around. It's like you gotta book ahead, you know. But um we did find one. I was looking over some letters from our um from our publishers saying, oh, you know, you have Rhinoceros, which was where in 88 everyone recorded Cold Chisel, Midnight Oil, you know, everyone who was everyone recorded in excess recorded Rhinoceros, you know. But it was it was quite expensive. It was like $3,000 a day or something ridiculous like that. He went over to check the room, you know, have a listen to some some things and I think someone was, was in there recording at the time and he just said, no, I don't, I don't like that one either. And he wanted this particular desk. He wanted a Neve desk. You know, it had to be a Neve desk. You always work from Neve. It's got to be a Neve desk. Well, the only studio in Sydney that, apart from 301, which had a Neve desk, was a studio called Paradise Studios, which was in the middle of King's Cross, and it was owned by uh, Billy Fields, uh, who was a he was a pop star. It was basically he had a song called "I Can't Help Myself." 
bad habits or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know. So, but he he owned, he owned the studio, and um, we rang him up and said, "Oh, have you got any any time with vacancies?" You know. Luckily for us, he had little blocks here and there. He had like a two week block, and then somebody was in there, and then another two week block, which kind of made it hard for us because you had to do your you know, you had to keep track of all your settings and all that sort of stuff. So we basically, yeah, we took it and I think it was maybe a month later or something like that and went in and started recording Face of Despair. And uh, I don't know, Face of Despair sort of got out. Uh, you were a little tosser, you know, a couple of months old. <laughs> At that time, we are starting to, you know, get a little bit antsy about touring. You know, it was we still hadn't gone overseas. It was it was eighty eight, and so by the time we'd signed with Phonogram Records, and by the time we'd finished recording this second record, we still hadn't gone overseas. We were still just still on the traps around Australia, which you know we, it was fine. We, we were pulling big crowds and everything and that sort of stuff, but we we wanted to experience overseas. And they're like, yeah, we'll get you there. Don't worry about all of that. And so that all happened. At that time, Metallica were basically releasing Injustice for All, um, which I won't say it's their biggest album to date because, you know, we all know the Black Album was the biggest one. But at the time, it was uh, what everyone was looking forward to hear, you know. It was uh, the lead-up or the follow-up to Master of Puppets and Master of Puppets was brilliant. It's like, how can they make it any more brilliant than that? <laughs> and it wasn't until phonogram rang up and said oh metallica are coming to tour australia and we're like oh you're fucking kidding me yes <laughs> because like at the time it was kind of a stop start stop start vibe in australia you know anthrax was going to come megadeth was going to come and for whatever reasons they didn't come so we'd gone from like 84 85 86 87 88 no one came. None of the thrash bands came to Australia. And that, and that was like, you know, it was as bad as us not going overseas. You know, it was, it was like the, the thrash fans in Australia, it's like, we just want to see these fucking bands, you know. And then finally when Metallica announced that they were, were definitely coming, the whole thrash scene in Australia just went, just exploded, you know. So we just finished our second album and, and the record company was like, we're not going to bring it out until until Metallica come, which was at the time was like eight eight months later or something. I'm like, what? You fucking got to get our album out now. So you know, again, we're on a major label. We had to do as it told. Just like we can't tell them how to run their show. They know what they're doing. All right, all right, all right, all right. So the record didn't get released until Metallica came out, which was May 1989. Uh, and you know, as as you know, August was when we. Basically, had finished recording it or something like that. So uh, you're talking, yeah, that's eight, nine months. So, but when they were coming out, my first question was, "We're playing with a support band, aren't we?" I was like, "Oh, well, we don't know that." You know, you're just like bullshit. You fucking know it. I'm saying, "We're the support band. It has to be. If we're not, <laughs> then say goodbye. We're out of here." You know, it's like, "Oh, you know, we still got to talk to their management, blah blah blah, all that sort of thing." And I'm, I got off the phone. I was like. We're in. It has to be. Who, who else is going to play Metallica? We're label mates. Come on. <laughs> so in, in my head, it was a given, you know. They they didn't confirm it until, you know, a long, you know, a month or so later. 
but in, in my mind, it was like, no, we're doing it. Nothing was going to stop us. And who, if anyone else was going to get it, I was going to kill them because it was our gift. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was it was that, you know, this, the steps in our movement of, of – Moving forward, that had to be the next progression. Thing. Yeah, it, it, it was the it was the obvious thing, yeah. and, and and the record was coming out. It, w- it was like, no, nah, don't shit me. We're on this gig. That's why you you delayed the the album release. So, so yeah, and, and, you know, we tell all the guys once it had been confirmed. I told all the guys, well, we're playing with Metallica. It's like, ah, you know, everyone's just you know screaming the roof off. Basically, it was it was. To, to us, it was like we succeeded. You know, it, 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 it was just a small success. We're only support band, yeah. So we're fucking with Metallica, you know. And it and it was it was basically fuck. We're playing with Metallica. We've got to get our shit together, you know. So so basically, it was just rehearse, 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 rehearse. We we had to we had to go on this stage and and we had to smash it. We had to kill it. We had we had to show. Anyone who was there who'd never heard of Mortal Sin, we had the show on Mortal Sin is King in Australia, basically. You know, we, we just had to prove why we got the major record deal, why we got the support. You know, we, we felt like we owed something, you know. So um, once, basically once we, we had got the Metallica gig, we also got phone calls from uh, management companies. Oh, who manages you? Goes, oh, I do. I've, I've managed this from the start, you know. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we, we've got this was a guy uh, called uh, Ian. What was his last name? Coming his last name now, but and Steve White. Well, Steve White uh, basically was involved with, you know, a lot of the big Australian bands. Um, if you if you Googled Steve White agency, you'd, you'd see probably. The dog's balls of Australian rock. Now, didn't know anything about metal, but as far as management goes, he knew what he was doing. So I spoke to the guys. I said, "Look, you know, things are going to start getting a lot bigger. We should probably talk about getting management." Blah 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 blah. I, I can do it, but we should probably try and get someone. Of course, you know, with with you being a, a small top and that sort of thing. Be good if someone could take that part of it off me. So anyway, we got management and everything like that, and uh, so we prepared for this uh, Metallica tour. We spent two solid months, you know, just making sure we were so tight that you know we were going to go out there and blow everyone's brains out. We never had any expectations of blowing Metallica off stage or anything, but we just had to, you know, the aim of the game was to show the Aussie fans that, you know, we can not match them, but we can prove our worth, you know. There was no no even thoughts of blowing Metallica off stage. So once the once the gigs rolled up and um, uh, they were only going to play Sydney and Melbourne uh, at the time, you know, it's their first tour, nobody really knew about it and kind of, we all did, but... Uh, as far as promoters and things go, it was, it was kind of a test for them. So they booked two shows. It was uh, Horton Pavilion and the Festival Hall in Melbourne. Well, those tickets sold out so quick. You know, they, they, they sold out really quick and they decided uh, Adelaide fans put a petition 
together to say, you've got to come to Adelaide. So they put a petition together and I went to either the Australian promoter or Metallica management or something like that and it was like 5,000, 6,000 signatures. So we got an extra gig out of it basically and so the Theberton Theatre was, was added to the to the run of shows which was now became the first gig. It was going to become Melbourne and then Sydney but then it was Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney. So we had to do the long trek from Sydney to Adelaide which, you know, when you're in a bus like in gear, was about a 17-hour drive. Oh, so I, I can't remember whether we did the trip straight or we stopped somewhere or not. I know we stopped at we stopped at some record store in the middle middle of nowhere, and we we get out to have a look. You know, it was like a drinks break, toilet break kind of vibe, food break. So we go into this small shopping centre and we go into that record shop there and it's like, oh, there's our record. And it's like, <laughs> is this your band? And all these kids are going, oh, are you, are you Mortal Sin? It's like, oh, it's signing autographs. And it's like, oh, everyone's like, wow, <laughs> people know us. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so we went down and we played Adelaide in, um, in this Theberton Theatre and it was, it was pretty special. It was pretty special. It was, it was a good gig and we got to watch Metallica from side of stage, which... To us, that was not more important, but, it, you know, it was part one was us playing with Metallica. Part two was watching Metallica, you know. We had this, you know, we'd, we'd never seen Metallica live. <laughs> uh, you know, you might have seen them on Headbangers Ball or, you know, something like that. But to actually see them live was, to us, it was like, classes in, guys. Sit down and watch. Let's just let's just see what what the goal is, you know. What, what is, they're the, they're the tops. This is, you know, sit down and just study, watch them. So we did that and then we next day or whatever, we went across to Melbourne and Festival Hall. Festival Hall, you know, in, in Australia is probably the most famous venue in, in Melbourne. You know, every international band who's, who's anyone has played there, you know. You look on the walls, scribble on the walls in the back dressing rooms, is everyone. So here we are oh, playing Festival Hall. It's like... Feminine Theatre was 2,000 people. Festival Hall's like, I don't know, six or 7,000 people. It's like, oh, in front of 7,000 people. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're kind of we're a little bit nervous. We're, we're, we're backstage and um, it was kind of getting you know, time. We, we'd already done sound check and everything like that. It was getting to about 10 minutes before we were going on and the crowd was getting really raucous, you know, and um, lights sort of come on and we're side of stage and the crowd just started chanting, mortal sin, mortal sin, like the whole crowd with like hairs on the back of our neck. If we were nervous before, it was like, shit. <laughs> like, fuck, the whole crowd is screaming mortal sin. And, I, and I'm, I'm last to get on stage and I, oh, shit, I quickly run to the toilet, you know, I've got to take a leak, you know. <laughs> I go to the toilet and someone from Metallica was in there uh, I don't know if it was management or a roadie or someone, and I'd walked in and he looked at me and he says, who the fuck are these guys? And I go, oh, that's my band, Mortal Sin. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And it, like the crowd was just doing this Mortal Sin chant, Mortal Sin, Mortal Sin, Mortal Sin. It was going on for ages, you know. 
And I just felt so proud, you know. It was like this Metallica dude said, who the fuck are these guys, you know. And like, <laughs> that's my bag. <laughs> it's real smug. Whilst taking a piss. <laughs> no, it was, it, it was a really good feel, feeling. And, and even though I was, I was shaking like a leaf, you know, I was nervous as, as all fuck. We, we went out on stage and the crowd was just so behind us, you know. They, they, they made us feel like we were as big as Metallica, you know. It, it was just after every song chanting crowd, you know, screaming and cheering, you know, moshing. It, it was just the, the best, best feeling ever, you know. So, yeah, again, afterwards, study, go watch Metallica, do your job, you know, that sort of thing. Well, Sydney was next. It was, you know, it was basically uh, our hometown, you know. It was it's like, oh, well, Melbourne was <laughs> – how do, how do we top Melbourne? We, we had to – Somehow I told Melbourne, you know, we thought, well, at least it's our, our home crowd, you know. Hopefully they'll be behind us just like Melbourne was. So because it was our home home gig, I had the chance to go home and, you know, take a shower and just feel normal for 20 minutes. We went down to um, the Horton quite early. You know, we, we just wanted to get there early, sort of get the vibes, you know, get the – just to get into the, the – in the mindset, basically. And um, we hadn't really approached the band before that. We were just, we were scared shitless. We don't want to, we don't want to go near him. Like, you know, but, um, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of like the, you know, I'm the shy person in the band. I'm sort of, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to go up to him. But Wayne, you know, goes up, shakes me, and oh, I'm way from Wilson, on the drum, blah, 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 blah. You know, so that kind of broke the ice. It's like, well, Wayne can do it, I can do it, you know. <laughs> I'd taken a whole bunch of things down to get signed. You know, I took all the albums and a skateboard and probably a few other things. And, oh, can you guys sign this? Yeah, yeah. They were in a pretty, pretty happy mood, the Metallica guys, because it was the last show. They did New Zealand before they come to Australia as well, by the way. So for them, it was the last show of the leg. And then they were, I think they were off to Japan or somewhere. And so, you know, they were in a bit of a party mood and I'd got everything signed. And I was like, oh, you know. Pretty cool. And um, so we were just kicking back on the stage, talking about, you know, how everything was going and, and stuff like that. And we could hear all this. Uh, that At the time, the Horton Pavilion was uh, the other way around. Like the stage was up the other end of the of the room mm-hmm. and the crowd came at the other end. So there was all these uh, roller door shutters and we could hear all this bang. <laughs> Fuck, it must be getting pretty rowdy up there. Well, we late we later heard that there had been a riot. News crews were there, and it was, I don't know they were trying to make it look like it was violent. Of course, and uh, cars sort of trying to drive through where, like, where all the crowds were, and police. So people started chucking shoes and bottles and things at these cars that were trying to get through. And the news, the news people were trying to, oh, this is this is really good, you know, let's make this into something, you know. The devil's music. Oh, this is riot! Like, <laughs> all the people that were there going, fuck a riot. We wanted to cause a riot. We would cause a fucking riot, you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm I'm sitting on the stage and I'm talking to Mick or Paul or somebody. And so this is probably maybe an hour before they were supposed to open the doors. I think it was maybe five in the hour or, or something. And doors were meant to open at six or something, something like that. Yeah, all of a sudden the doors opened up and just people run towards the stage where I was sitting. You know, it's like shit. <laughs> Like they got up and I'm, I'm like, run, you know, I ran, ran to the back of the stage. So I just 
didn't know what they were doing. It was like they were all running to the front, you know, which they were just trying to get the front spot of the, you know, Punnerberry, which is, yeah, typical of these days. Of course. Yeah, so, you know, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to be so good. So anyway, you know, like how do we top Melbourne? It was like we, we added a song to the set uh, called Caught in the Mosh, which is a, an anthrax song. I wanted to do it. Wayne didn't want to do it. There was this drum bit in it that he, you know, wasn't 100% on, and I, uh, it was on the set list and everything. And uh, I looked I look back at him. I'll, I'll come back to the beginning of the show, but I look back at him. He's going, no, 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 no. I go, this is a song called Caught in a Marsh. And the crowd just, like, fucking erupted, you know. It's like, well, it's in a plane and anthrax song. Yeah. But anyway, go, going back to the beginning, you know, like I said, in Melbourne, uh, how the crowd chanted, mortal sin, mortal sin, mortal sin. Well, they, they pretty much did the same in Sydney. But but after that, um, I'm backstage and, I, and I, I said to your mum, Diane, uh, and everyone, what are, what are they chanting? And they're going, mora, mora, mora. And I'm like, no, they're not. So, yeah, yeah. Chanting fucking Mora, Mora, Mora. And I, was, <laughs> and I found out who it was. It was it was Alex, who's a friend of ours. He started. <laughs> and he's like, shit. <laughs> so yeah, you know, can you can you top Melbourne? It was like, well, just just both geeks, you know, we're just the, the dream geek. And and everyone talks about it today even that it was it's just the best metal geek ever, you know. Uh, in Sydney, there was like I think the uh, the capacity when it was facing the other way uh, was like eight thousand five hundred. So we, you know, we basically we played to eight thousand five hundred people. But you know, when you talk about it today, and who was there? Who was there? It was like thirty thousand people were there. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like well, you couldn't have all been there. There was only held eight thousand five hundred people. So some of you said bullshit, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's just that everybody wanted to be a part of it, you know. Uh, every, everybody remembers it so well. It, it was just, yeah, in, in, in our minds anyway, it was it was just the greatest thing ever. You know, we, we did do, obviously, we did better things later on, but... And we can talk about those later. When you when you talk about <laughs> the highlights of your career, you know, that pretty much is the number one. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, were you going to ask some questions? I was, but I didn't get a fucking word in, so here we are. <laughs> I, I can gabble. I can, I can talk like a, a murder mouse sometimes. but Like the quietest human on earth. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, know. I, I, I don't talk much in, in the open, but when, you know, when, you, when you're knowledgeable on, on a subject and you're confident about it, you can talk forever. <laughs> No, no, that's all good. And as I've sort of said in the the introduction episode, we are going to do a couple of short stories in the future and talking about a couple of different gigs and highlights since that Metallica gig. So that's probably a really good point to to wrap up today. Um, I'm going to turn this into a two-parter, so uh, stay tuned for more sessions after this. And, yeah, thanks for chatting. Oh, my God, did we talk for nearly an hour and a half? We (laughs) did. I told you, you didn't shut up. I'm yeah. impressed. Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Nicely done. If you're keen to hear future episodes, please hit that like, follow, or subscribe button on whatever platform you're hearing this episode on. 
You can get in touch and find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Heavy Corner, or you can check out the website at www.theheavycorner.com. This episode is recorded, edited, and transcribed by me. A special thanks to Dan Gibbons for writing the music, and of course, thanks to our guests.